Welcome to the Why We Grow show, a place to tackle the big issues facing food and farming in New Zealand. I'm Chelsea Miller of Grassroots Media. And I'm Daniel Ebb of Dirt Road Comms. Together, we'll hear from the outsiders, the alternative thinkers, and those doing the mahi right across our food and fibre system. Let's get to it. The rhythm of food. In a world of non-stop, on-the-go everything, can food slow us down and connect us to place, people, and a sense of peace? Angela Clifford, CEO of Eat New Zealand and founder of the food farm in Canterbury thinks so. In this episode, we discuss the joy of a life wrapped around food, the simple pleasure of farming, the camaraderie of a community, and the chance to grow a sense of identity. It all starts with food. One more thing before we get started. This was our first podcast, and Murphy's Law being what it is, we had some tech issues. You'll hear some distortion between minutes three and five, but please stick with it. There's some great stuff to come. Today we're joined by Angela Clifford. Angela is the CEO of Eat New Zealand, an organisation pulling disparate groups and individuals across our food system together into a coherent national Kiwi food story. At home, Angela runs The Food Farm, a permaculture setup just outside of Canterbury. Angela, thanks for being with us today. Let's crack straight into it. Tell us why you wrap your life around food. Well, food is pretty much everything in my life. I think it's a sort of a pair of sometimes rose-tinted glasses that you put on, or it's a lens through which to understand life. Um, it is my home so we grow most of our own food and our children are raised to understand where their food comes from uh, and my job is chief executive of a New Zealand food movement so uh, yeah pretty much everything in my life revolves around food and our stories and where it comes from and our connection to it. Tell us a little bit more about, it sounds like your food journey started at the home and then kind of grew broader. So tell us about your sort of personal origins and, and why you decided to wrap food around you and your family's life. Yeah, my background, um, my father worked in the beef and sheep industry. And even though we grew up in the city, we spent pretty much every single spare moment out in the country. And my family background is in farming as well. My ancestors brought the first sheep to the South Island and ended up at the Stonyhurst Station in Mutanau in North Canterbury, not far from where I am now. And it has just been part of who we are forever, but not just the production side of it, but also the manakitanga um, side of it or the hospitality side of it, which is... There's a huge history in my family of sitting down around the table and sharing food and sharing stories and hospitality. So both, both sides, really, that, that production side and the hospitality side. So Angela, tell us a little bit more about how 
your food journey in relation to the food farm started? You really invested in permaculture. It's come to define a little bit of you and your family's life. When did you start growing food yourself and really starting to wrap your whole life around it? Yeah, with um, my husband and we have always grown food together. It's been one of those kind of joyful things that we did together. That was an escape from sort of our everyday work lives and it was something we found in common and, you know, we got great pleasure from it. Uh, permaculture just ticks so many boxes for both of us because it's, it's a bit like systems thinking for farming. It's a very holistic perspective uh, and it connects different parts of the system together and creates solutions to problems. And it just made a whole lot of sense for us. So we ended up doing a permaculture design course together in South Australia. We studied under David Holmgren at the Food Forest of Gawler in South Australia. He was helping to present. And David's one of the co-founders of permaculture, along with Bill Mollison. How did you realise the power of growing food? You know, we really want to know what your aha moment was. I I don't feel like there was a single moment. I feel like it's the culmination of moments that seem to resonate with other people beyond ourselves. I think it gave our lives meaning to grow food and it created connections to people that we really enjoyed spending time with. So I guess a bit like a really good recipe, it was about sort of layering layering flavors or ingredients mm -hmm. rather than one single aha moment it just it's a funny thing it's just the way that your life evolves in the place that you end up and who you end up with and it felt like a natural place to be for us I really love the point you make around connections and you said something earlier which really resonated with me which was the you know, sharing food and sharing stories around the dinner table. And I think we've lost the art of doing that. You know, we're such a couch nation now, you know, getting our food on a plate, sitting on the couch and watching TV and those conversations aren't starting. Would you agree with that? Yeah, yeah we have three children, uh, 15, 13 and 11, and, and woofers and countless visitors constantly and we have a very large table. And I always laugh because I think for visitors and for woofers, the noise at our dining table must be extraordinary um, because of the level of conversation that goes on. But for us as parents, it's just a fundamental opportunity to connect with our children and understand how everybody's days rolled and what's going on in their lives. Um, and yeah, I can't really imagine not doing it. I think it, I think it would be a different family dynamic if we didn't sit down at the table together at the end of the day. So true. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Some of the stats, um, I was reading some of my food bag did a, a, a little bit of research recently. I think it was around 80% of us leave our phones on the table while we have family dinner. And that's a, uh, it's a pretty scary, pretty scary stat. Mm. Angela, um, so you used the word natural before and that food gives your life an added layer of meaning. Can you drill down a little bit more into to what that feels like for you and what that sort of manifests for you and your family? 
yeah, we live a really seasonal life. So it's a connection to our natural world. We eat seasonally, obviously, and really seasonally, like understanding, for example, at this time of year, we've run out of a lot of those fresh foods. We're kind of moving through the last of the citrus. The next fruit won't be until October, November with strawberries. We've got a lot of stored fruit, fruit uh, vegetables in particular, root crops and pumpkins and things like that. And we're coming to the end of them. Garlic's about to sprout. So we're about to head into something that we call the food gap or the hungry gap. It's about six weeks down here before our soils are warm enough to really start uh, producing food again. And the first thing that comes back is asparagus, which is actually a lily. And so it has, it's a perennial and it has quite different growing uh, needs than annual vegetables. So, yeah, we understand that as a family and we roll very much like that. We also celebrate quite seasonally. So we have something called the real Halloween, which is the end of our growing season and the beginning of the season of death, which is the history of where Halloween happened at the end of April. And we celebrate Matariki and have a big feast in the middle of winter um, as an alternative to sort of that big feast in the middle of the su- middle of summer. We have a big egg celebration in in September. So we, it's just it's our connection, I suppose, to our natural environment that's got a lot of meaning as a family. It sounds like it really grounds your family life and what you deem as important. It also sounds like it's developing a little bit of resilience and strength in your family i mean most of us would go to the supermarket and pick up a mango in the middle of july and your kids know that that's that's not on the cards um but do you think that's aided in their development do you think that's given them a, a bigger perspective on the world i hope so i think one of the main <laughs> reasons that we live like this is because is because we do want a resilient future for our family and for our community and for our country uh absolutely but I do need a caveat here which is to say that my children being part Australian are quite obsessed by mangoes and we do know when they're in season and we get the local green goser to um wait until they are at their best and then buy us an entire tray and we eat it within about two days so um (laughs) so yeah not all off the farm, Daniel. <laughs> and so how does, I mean, I know you have a lot of um, uh, people who come to the food farm wanting to learn and, and sort of absorb some of these life lessons and some of the more technical lessons about actually, you know, growing in a permaculture system. What are those people who come to the food farm to learn? What are they looking for? Yeah, it's been a really exciting um, sort of, journey really it's we've started it a couple of years ago and we have how to grow your own food workshops and we have one every season and each season focuses on something different so in winter it's about planning and spring it's about sowing and propagating and summer about harvesting and preserving and in autumn about composting and what we've found that each of those is a significantly increasing amount of people each time that really want to understand these basic principles of growing food. And what I love about it is the number of young couples that we seem to have. I don't know what I thought the demographic would be when I started. 
but it's really exciting to sort of see the amount of sort of 20s and 30s, 30-year-olds, uh, I guess you call them millennials, that are really interested in this. Uh, I find that really exciting and hopeful. I think that's uh, good news to my ears because, Angela, if you knew me and knew what my friends said about me, they're like, you can't even uh, keep a plastic indoor plant alive. So how you're <laughs> actually going to survive in the future, we have no idea. Um, I have a mother who is a very good gardener, but that's not the vegetable patch, obviously. And, uh, yeah, I think you'd probably look at my garden and go, I'm ashamed of you, Chelsea. I'm really ashamed of you. So, uh, you know, any advice is welcome. So, uh I'm a millennial, Dan's a millennial, it's the last thing I like to admit, and especially doing this on a podcast, but what advice would you give to someone like myself who, you know, busy lifestyle, a little bit lazy maybe, you know, supermarkets right down the road type thing, Um, what advice would you give me about growing my own food? Uh, So you know what your experience of food is right now, Chelsea, what if I told you that you could grow your favorite fruit or your favorite vegetable and it would taste in the vicinity of about a thousand times better (laughs) than what you're buying right now and even if you focused on a single crop like for example strawberries like just great bang for your buck Mm -hmm. and also incredibly difficult to get organic strawberries so you're buying into a pretty interesting space by not eating organic strawberries so um, strawberries could be a good one room start like really fresh corn that you've just picked and put straight in a in a saucepan um, blow your mind an apple a properly ripe apple picked off a tree will change your life so (laughs) Even if you choose a single crop, like a cherry tomato plant, that's your challenge. And I'm going to follow up, by the way. It's your challenge this season. One fruit or vegetable, just one. And, okay, you, well, and, you have, and you have the opportunity to come back and ask me all the technical questions during this growing season. And, and everybody on social media now is going to be following you and we're going to see where you get I to. I like how this is angling up. This is good. This is good. I should yeah. keep my mouth shut, but that is uh, <laughs> not why we're here. So um, I can tell you, I have an amazing strawberry crop, so I'm one step ahead of you there. Uh, however, I dislike with um, – actually, you know what? I am going to use with hate tomatoes. So um, I'll go with <laughs> corn maybe, but I also live at the beach – so we might have to have a discussion offline of how you can help me with that, Angela. Uh, Seaweed, obviously. <laughs> well, actually, funny you say that. That's someone else we should probably get on, Tahi. Tahi Spirulina. But, um, yes, I might have to have a conversation with you offline, Angela, about what my crop is, and then we'll, we'll have a bit of a challenge. I'm up for any challenge. I already know. It's New Zealand spinach. So it's this amazing sort of green that has quite um, spongy leaves it's truly delicious and it's almost salty and it grows beautifully um down by the seaside and just you'll become addicted and that'll be it perfect done new zealand spinach it is you heard it here there we go nice nice um so angela sort of going back to your earlier point about being a little bit surprised that it's a younger audience who are coming around to the food farm and really wanting to engage back in food production and live this more grounded, natural, rhythmic life that you're talking about. Why do you think it's happening now? Why is there a little bit of a groundswell amongst the younger audiences and the generations 
um, that have come after the boomers and the exes and um, who are wanting to sort of live simpler, live natural, more natural. And it's kind of manifesting in this whole wellness, wellness trend and, you know, dare I say it, the woke trend as well. But um, why now? <laughs> I love the use of the term woke. I love it. So I think good. it's cool. <laughs> um, yeah, absolutely woke. I think uh, that's it. I think it's a need to reconnect. I think we've lost our way. I think as our lives become more online, we rebel from that a little and we try to find something that moves closer to having our feet on the ground and our hands in the soil. I think that's just natural human nature, actually, to be in that space. I think we, if we get too far away from that space, we feel disconnected and um, and and anxious and it's not very good for our mental health. Mm. So I think, I think that this next generation coming through perhaps are a bit more woke about it, have worked that out a little bit earlier and, and are seeking something that brings them long-term happiness that moves beyond economic gain. And, and what's the connection between growing food and long-term happiness? I just like it, this return to rhythm, you know, this idea that our lives are quite rhythmic and there's a huge amount of mindfulness in gardening. You know, you can, it sounds boring weeding something, but doing something physically repetitive slows your mind down mm. and takes you to another space. And in a world where our minds are just so busy all the time, to do something physically repetitive is really useful, I think. And you literally can't pick up your phone when you're waiting because you'll get dirt all over it. So, um, and it probably doesn't fit in your pocket anyway and or it'll fall out. So there's this, it's just an intrinsic need to disconnect and to move into another realm, I think. And that's the value of it. Thank you, right on. I, I also think there's, a, there's an element of patience that comes with it. Like it takes, what, a couple of months to grow a, bro a broccoli and my broccoli is a perfect right now thank you for asking um, <laughs> but, but you know it's I've been watching these things for weeks for months and now finally it's there and um, I know there's something really your baby has sprouted my baby sprouted I, I, I do joke to my partner that I enjoy gardening most because I'm like the god of the garden and the, their lives depend on me and my cultivation and I can actually see that I, there's probably a lot of <laughs> deep-seated issues that I'm bringing up and it's probably not the right forum so we'll keep moving but um, <laughs> So a bit of patience, a bit of rhythm, and uh, anything else that you would uh, uh, suggest adds to this sense of long-term happiness? Yeah, I think you just realise what an insignificant part of everything you are. And that moment, it's, it's a form of humbleness and gratefulness. And uh, I'm beginning to learn that more and more, particularly when you start looking at sort of those rhythmical cycles of of we're going to get back to the cosmos now, but there's rhythmical cycles of, of the world and of the earth. Uh, and you realize that really there, you are not the God of the vegetable patch. Sorry to break that to you. Um, you are but a minion, Daniel. So, um, yeah. Like there's, even more now. Minion. Yeah. There's something in the minionness of it that I, th I find really, um, really meaningful. Nice, nice. So let, let's talk a little bit more about the community aspect of, of growing food. It seems like 
it starts with your family as that place to the dinner table is the place to bring people together and to share and talk and grow together um, and then talk us a little bit through about how that grew from from around the family table to more of a local community um, project yeah well in Australia it started with the Brossa farmers market the reaction to the fact that the Brossa was quickly becoming monocultural vines and yet it had a couple of hundred year old food history of years old food history if you consider um, Aboriginal food history as well and and yet the, it was wall-to-wall vines and we could see that that probably wasn't a good way forward in terms of resilience and a huge amount of history was being lost so that motiva- motivated us to sort of engage and change some things and then when we moved back to New Zealand that sort of manifested again in terms of being part of a national farmers market movement but also in my North Canterbury uh, region sort of seeing some really obvious beautiful natural ingredients in terms of people and unique place and uh, ingredients and working out that they could be put together to create something that was akin to what was happening in the Barossa. And that's where the sort of North Canterbury food and wine movement came from. Um, this sort of group of young people, uh, all about the same age, all have children the same age, and we all were after the same thing. And so created things like Forage North Canterbury and Summer of Riesling and the wine industry and all of that kind of thing. And then, of course, that just extrapolated or manifested into a national thinking around that. And that's where, I suppose, in some ways, Eat New Zealand came from. Nice. So it sounds like it's sort of, yeah, it starts small, but it just keeps growing because people want to be involved and exert agency in their food system. They want to be brought closer to the other to other people through food. Am I hearing that right? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. And that's a cool thing about Eat New Zealand is it's a platform and it's a movement. So it's designed to be inclusive and it's designed to be robust enough to handle agendas um, and people who who can see something they want to pursue. And and as long as it sort of sits in the same co-papa, then that's, that's the way we should all roll. So Angela, I know you've got some interesting theories around how our history and sort of birth of a nation impacts our ability to tell a food story. Um, tell us about why our history as a colony impacts what we do today around food. Yeah, so I think we have this colonial mentality. So we really are just a paddock and an ocean for the mother country. And our sense of self-worth has been tied up in that. And I think we're moving into a different era. I think we're moving into sort of this post-colonial stage where we understand a bit more about our own value and a bit more about our uniqueness, more about our original food story um, and our indigenous food story and to have much more pride and understanding around what that is. So I can see that our previous thinking, which was really just to extract and export you know, we were an export nation for those purposes, hasn't served us very well in terms of developing our own food story. And I think it's time to start doing that. And I think by doing that, we create much closer connections between the people growing, catching and making the food and the people consuming it. 
And so not only do we get the value of better returns to the people growing, catching and making the food, but we also have a much bigger opportunity for storytelling in that space. And by telling our stories, then we kind of manifest a national story about who we are as a food nation. That is so awesome. I'm so on board with that. I, I think you've absolutely hit the nail on the head that food, and it kind of goes back to what we said right in the start, that food is, food is the start, food is the seed, and then we can start layering things like community, layering things like pride, layering things like identity on top of it. Um, it is our recipe, right? Right on, right on. And uh, Angela, we often talk about sort of some of the challenges that are coming our way. And I don't really want to get into that on the show because we've got a nice deep feel and let's stick with it. But can you talk a little bit about, and from what you've just said, fills me with so much hope. And can you talk a little bit about how food can actually be a source of hope, particularly in as we face things like climate change? Yeah, I think just having a much better sense of self allows us to think about things around uh, food resilience and food sovereignty, also food access. You know, we have a, an ability to feed all of ourselves and many, many, many more people. So there should never be anybody in New Zealand that's hungry. And so that's not a food problem that's a distribution issue um, and I think as we start to get our heads around that I feel really hopeful that we'll have a different philosophy and culture around um, how we find food who grows food and how you get access to it I think that's really really important and I think that will change quite fast I can see some really hopeful things I'm sure Bailey will speak to this around what's happening in our cities and around community gardens and that kind of thing um, and I also think just having much more of a community focus around food will enable us to be much more resilient in terms of whatever comes at us around climate change or economic crisis or whatever. I love that framing. It's it's food as sort of the source and solution and the farmers and food growers as the heroes. And that's a story that I know um, Chelsea and I tell every day. And, um, and it's awesome to hear from someone who's living it every day. Yeah, I just got an email today actually from someone that's organizing a get together and he wants to call the get together food to reverse climate change. <laughs> and I, I love it. I love it. This idea that, you know, really something that we all of us have to do if we're lucky three times a day, that we could use this tool to just reverse this issue we find ourselves in. And I think he's absolutely right. We totally could. So that makes me really hopeful. Awesome. That's brilliant. And, you know, we can absolutely hear the excitement and the passion in your voice for this too. And uh, we need many more of you. I'm not sure that cloning is something we're talking about, but, you know, we need more, we need more Angelas. <laughs> no GMO. Uh, we'll throw more Angelas. That's what we're here for, right? Uh, so thank you, Angela. Today has been awesome. And um, I've really enjoyed hearing what you're up to and, and your views on food. Uh, and I am going to take you up on your challenge. I have written down NZ Spinach and that I will be doing a social media challenge with Angela's advice. Beautiful. Grow this beautiful food. So watch this space. The movement and is happening, people. 
and and you know the cool thing is even if you fail it's also a wild food so if you're really clever you can cheat by going out and finding it on the beach or the verges somewhere so yeah it's a good one uh, I might just grow up myself I'm not sure I trust my community and what's uh, growing out there so. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'll take this one into my own hands Angela but no today has been awesome and thank you so much uh, for joining us on our show Thank you. I feel very privileged to be the first and I wish you guys all the very best. I think what you're doing is incredibly important. Um, So go well. Well, I thought that was awesome. I've been following Angela for good many months now and I think she is a really inspiring woman with an awesome story and I love that everything comes from the heart it all comes from her own experience of food farming and her kids so much energy right it's awesome so much energy to share she's genuinely practicing what she preaches and that's what makes it so authentic and uh, so credible when she tells her story and like I said we need more Angelas we need lots more Angelas I think the thing I took away from it the most is this idea that food and farming and growing your own food is kind of an antidote to modern life um you know it's it's this weird paradox that we live in that we've got so much wealth and so much stuff and everything's really quick but yet we're miserable um (laughs) you know we're a stressed out group of people and instead of throwing things into that gap and whether it be you know more technology online communities you know Whatever else. Whatever. Food, drugs, whatever it is. Alcohol. Um, Maybe the answer is as simple as going back to basics. It's rekindling some of that sense of rhythm that Angela talked about. Um, Yeah, not everything has to come through an app. The the soil also has a lot of good stuff for us. And maybe we just need to slow down, put our hands in it, and remember that at the end of the day, we're not that important. There's a lot of freedom in that. Yeah, and I think you're right with the back to basics. And for me, what really resonated was around that connection and that sharing stories. And, you know, you and I both in the game of sharing stories, but I look at my own lifestyle and I think about some of the values that I have. And I still am about sharing those stories, but do I do that at home? How often am I sitting around another table, like with friends and family and having a yarn and over food? Mm. and actually enjoying what is on my plate you know and it is from the garden and how much satisfaction you get out of that and you know that that hungry gap that she talked about was a really interesting one for me and I think you know right through it like grow the garlic like do the asparagus but don't go and fill up on all this pre-made stuff in the supermarket you know we have alternatives mm. but that celebration of food you know around matariki and things like that like that to me really resonated and you know I wrote that down like how can I bring this into my life? And as you heard on the podcast, I've taken up a challenge and I think this is going to amuse my whole community is that I will be trying to grow New Zealand spinach at the beach. So uh, that's my challenge. I've taken that up. Angela's going to keep me accountable and I'm sure Dan, you're probably going to keep me just as accountable. Absolutely. So I challenge you to our listeners as well to, to take up a food challenge. You know, tell us, tweet us, what are you going to grow? Uh, what are you going to be putting on the table to uh, share those stories and share those connections with? So yeah, good luck because it's not easy. She's no. the god of the garden, right? <laughs> we'll go back to basics together.
We'll get there together, everyone. Brilliant. Love it. Let's do it. Thanks for listening to the Why We Grow show. This podcast is a two-way show and we need your feedback. If you have follow-up questions or comments for our guests, we'd love to hear from you. Send them through via our website, www.thewhywegrowshow.com or via Dan or myself on Twitter. We'll do our best to get them answered on air or via email. And we're always on the lookout for more people or topics to cover. Let us know what big issue in food and farming you want answered or if you want to jump on the show yourself. You can support us to grow too by sharing the Why We Grow show with your mates. Keep at it out there and we'll see you next time.